Hello and welcome to The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. Each week, the sharpest minds and freshest thinkers in finance take you beyond the numbers and hype right to the heart of the big issues of the day. This week, we're discussing the 2023 UBS Reserve Management Seminar and resulting survey, perhaps the definitive and certainly one of the most authoritative depictions of official reserve management activities available. The survey was conducted during April to June of this year and collected responses from close to 40 central banks from all regions globally. So what was discussed at the conference and what can we learn from the freshly published survey? Well, joining us today to explore the topic in more detail, we have Massimiliano Castelli, the Head of Strategy and Advice at Global Sovereign Markets, the team within UBS Asset Management covering central banks, sovereign wealth funds and other state-controlled investment institutions. And alongside Max, we welcome Professor Arturo Burris to the show too. Arturo is Professor of Finance and Director of the International Institute for Management Development World Competitiveness Centre. To you, Max, first of all, welcome back. Great to have you on the show once again. Remind us, Max, first of all, what this event, the Reserve Management Seminar and the survey is. What are the objectives each year? The Reserve Management Seminar is basically our annual uh, flagship event for uh, uh, central banks or uh, reserve manager, as sometimes uh, we call uh, them. We have been running this event for uh, 29 years in a row and actually established itself as one uh, of the best uh, private sector sponsor events uh, for this client or segment. So before the event, we normally carry out a survey where we ask some uh, question about uh, the economic and financial outlook, about reserve management trends. So for us, it is a very important source of information because you allow us on a yearly basis to see exactly what are the main challenge and the opportunities faced by this uh, type of investments. Maybe this year, the survey was probably more important uh, than ever because, uh, as you know, there are several challenges faced by central banks in general, but investors, I would say, think about inflation, rising interest rate, uh, the, the question about whether we're going to have a recession in the US or not, and of course, the, the geopolitical tension. So some of the results actually was very interesting for us. Some reflections from you next, Arturo Briss, on what stood out from the seminar for you? What were some of the main talking points and preoccupations? I feel like, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty about the investment investment landscape and to what extent I think the global uncertainty is going to determine portfolio returns and, and what central bankers uh, and, and sovereign wealth funds can do when it comes to investment. So certainly a, a bigger concern about geopolitical issues than than certain five, ten years ago. Well, yeah, and I guess one thing that really uh, stood out for me was this sense of uh, multipolarity. Uh, and Max, perhaps I can bring you back in here. There is this maybe shift in expectations around that process, um, the fact that we're seeing more more fragmentation and, and polarization. Tell us a bit about uh, that 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 narrative and how that was covered. Uh, I guess both at the seminar and then in the, in the survey. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, the the survey and the seminar, uh, these issues were debated from different angles. But just to start, uh, one of the key questions that we always ask every year is uh, what are the major concerns that this uh, class of investors have regarding the global economy? And, and this year, the, the, the further escalation in geopolitical conflict, so the whole question about Russia, of course, in Ukraine and US-China, they were the top results. 
and actually this uh, was uh, considered higher than, for instance, uh, the inflation issue and the rising interest rate, or even uh, the, the, the likelihood of a, of a global economic recession. So definitely geopolitics has become uh, one of the most important factor uh, in the in the decision uh, of uh, of this type of investor actually if you if you really we go a little bit more granular in terms of what exactly they are worried is in particular i would say of course you uh, the ukraine conflict is one but i would say the most important one is for sure the us china confrontation and in fact when we ask about what are uh, what do you think would be the most likely consequence of a further escalation in the us china confrontation nearly 90% basically they expect more uh, fragmentation and uh, and polarization in the in in global politics this is uh, something uh, very important because uh, i guess polarization uh, multipolarity in a way was a trend that we've been observing already for a while which in some way reflect the changed structure of the global economy. So there would be nothing wrong, or it would be almost physiological to see a shift towards this uh, multipolar system. The problem is that the US-China confrontation and uh, with all the implication, of course, can create more uh, fragmentation and polarization. And this is something which I think is feared by this, uh, by this type of investor. Interestingly, when they, we ask them, and that's another topic that we discussed at length at the conference, uh, whether you are really uh, doing something about it, there is, a, uh, there is a feeling that there is a lot of attention on this topic, but in terms of concrete action, uh, nothing really happens. So I, I use the expression that uh, these investors are in a sort of a wait and see approach, because I think there is a lot of uncertainty still about how this question will evolve in the future and what is going to be the impact on, uh, on the global economy. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I, I was going to ask about what the actual actions are that follow, you yeah. know, whether we then see shifts in, I don't know, decision making around currency allocation, but maybe maybe we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Just to, to take a step back, uh, and Professor Arturabris, let me bring you back in here. In terms of the uh, the discussions that you had with colleagues, and just generally, when you speak with you know reserve managers or central bank staff, wherever they may may be, what are the broad brush expectations? If we look at the second half, it does appear that the majority are expecting a, a soft landing. Is that only half of the picture? I think so. I mean, I think that there is there are here two two scenarios of you know, similar likelihood. One is, as you say, a soft landing, but I think we should not disregard, based on what we have seen in the last years, that we have some shocking events or surprising events that can derail us from this soft landing. And this, I think this is the the, the sentiment that you perceive of caution. You know, it's like, let's not be overly optimist, optimistic. Let's not think that, uh, that, you know, that we have seen the worst of our recent crisis, you know, pandemic, war, and so on. And let's let's be concerned about the about the coming months. This was exactly one of the questions that we ask. Basically, we ask uh, which uh, economic regime is most likely to materialize over the next uh, five years. So we take a medium long term view, which I think is important. Uh, because and actually about sixty five percent. They believe that uh, soft, soft or softish landing, which is basically return to moderate growth and moderate inflation, was uh, the most likely scenario. I think that's very, very interesting because, for instance, only around 10 percent 
believe that there will be a recession, which I think is also remarkable. Mm-hmm. But the point is that, uh, of course, we will see what which scenario will materialize uh, over the second half of the year and in uh, in 2024. But I think what is important, we also ask question about uh, where we are coming from, and actually more than 70% of the one of the respondents basically believe that the period of the great moderation, as we call it. By great moderation, we mean this period of uh, low interest rate, low volatility, and relatively good and low geopolitical risk, and also low, uh, relatively good return is over. So uh, it, the feeling is that we are in a sort of a transition phase from one regime, which has been actually prevailing since the great financial crisis. We are moving into a new one, which is going to be probably characterized by higher inflation, higher interest rate, and higher volatility, but still there is a lot of uncertainty about the, let's say, the exact future of this new regime. And that's exactly the type of situation we're in at the moment, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and Arturo, let me ask you then, so what, what does that mean then for, for canny investors? Because if we uh, sort of imagine that we're going to experience more volatile business cycles for a you know, in the foreseeable period of time, volatility, uncertainty, these are the, the enemies of easy decisions, right? So what, how does the, the decision-making process change? We already, I mentioned currency allocation as one example, but how, how does this uncertainty, this, this acknowledgement of greater volatility ahead, mm. how does that manifest itself in the decisions that, that uh, reserve managers are actually making? Yes, I would mention two aspects of it. I think with more uncertainty, you have different benefits from diversification. And I think uh, the, 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 the volatility of markets helps having also better, better diversification. So uh, in essence, this presents advantages for investment managers. I think at the same time, in an uncertain environment, skill is much more important as well. So, you know, when things are predictable, you know, there's no differentiation across investors. But when you have volatile market, making the right decision depends on skills and skills then are priced. And I think that's also good news because we'll see the best managers performing better and, and, and the post on the opposite. So it's also time to for for investment managers to actually learn how to read this uncertain environment and how to make better decisions. Yeah. Well, Max, let me ask you then, if we look at diversification, I guess, I don't know, in 2022, that didn't work particularly well for central banks, did it? Um, And we saw positive correlations between stocks and and, and fixed incomes. Do you you think that recent experiences will change the short term decision making? Yeah, we ask a lot of questions about diversification. I think it's important to keep in mind where we're coming from as well, because this uh, type of investor over the last 15, 20 years, they actually diversified, I would say, pretty significantly. For instance, if you look at the reserve manager uh, 20 years ago, they used to invest in very few asset classes and very few regions. So they used to invest in bank deposit, uh, short-term paper, government bonds. Nowadays, if you look at the asset allocation of the central banks, is actually already much more diversified. They invest across a wide range of uh, fixed income assets. And also, increasingly, many central banking invest as well in listed equity. So the diversification paid very well in the past. If you look at the return, the experience since 2009, they actually been pretty good thanks to diversification. But then you're absolutely right. 2022 was a very bad year 
for diversification for the simple reason that with the rise in interest rates, both fixed income asset and equity generated negative return. Now, so we were we, we were very curious when we when we start the survey to see whether these diversification trends would uh, some way slow down or even reverse. And what the survey tells us is that diversification is still ongoing in the sense that we have not seen a reversal in terms of this trend. But for sure, we see a slowdown in the sense that uh, fixed income assets, in particular government bonds, thanks to the higher yield, have become much more attractive than they used to be in the previous regime. And this type of investor, of course, uh, they see this as well, and they tend to be more focused on fixed income assets than, for instance, uh, listed equity, as instead was the case in the previous regime. But I believe that the fact that the diversification is not really uh, reversed, but actually has uh, slowed down, also in the light of the uncertainty that we just mentioned, also show how this type of investor have changed through time. They are no longer procyclical in the sense as soon as there is a uncertainty risk, they tend to, re to, to revert the diversification trend, but rather they're just uh, adapting their asset allocation, in particular the fact that expected return on fixed income are going to be higher uh, in order to take advantage of that. So I think diversification will not go away, but for sure will be probably a different type of diversification across uh, region uh, asset classes and definitely also currency. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, let's talk about currency because this is really interesting. And, and Arturo, I, I wanted to get your sense on this debate. Well, actually, it's been a debate that's been going on for some time, haven't we, about the role of the, the US dollar in reserve management broadly. And there is this question around uh, the greenback and it's, you know, th it being the, 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 uh, the unrivaled main store of, of wealth. Um, and I guess this is another thing that it's a longer term trend. But are we seeing a real move now in terms of attitudes uh, from the decision makers about the kind of composition of their reserves and the role of the dollar, you know, could could the euro for the first time in many years, I can't even almost believe I'm asking the question, could this be something that we could see a net positive uh, in terms of additions in, in, in the months ahead? What what do you make of this debate? Yeah, we had interesting discussions about that in the in the conference. And I think that the agreement is that the, the dominance of the dollar is not, I think, is not in jeopardy. We're going to see some sources of instability and uncertainty, particularly coming from China or the United States. But the fact that main commodities are still dominated, denominated in US dollars gives the dollar a very important role in the in the world economy. And I personally don't think that this is going to change for for a long time. Uh, we need to take into account as well that neither the renminbi nor the euro uh, are actually showing uh, signals of dominance. Uh, and, and, and the United States is basically, and the dollar is left as the only, the only anchor currency that we have for the for the time being. Just on uh, the global competitiveness, I know that there's some interesting uh, discussions that took place around that theme. Tell us what was the what was the nature of that the, the discourse around that? I think the main picture of this year when it comes to global competitiveness is that we are less competitive overall than we used to be 10 years ago. I think that the competitiveness, prosperity, quality of life of people have on average declined. Uh, when you look at rankings, of course, you are hiding that. Uh, one of the observations that I was making is that we live in an economy in which there are winners and losers. And in the current environment, whenever there are some countries that are doing fine and are benefiting from the current crisis, I'm thinking about, I don't know, Indonesia or Turkey, for example. 
to mention two countries that are doing well in the midst of a of a war and a post pandemic economy there are other countries like germany for example uh, that is that is, or even even china that are suffering when it comes to competitiveness so that's that was the big headline you know there are winners and losers and um, the best performing economies tend to still be those who are small countries like denmark or singapore or switzerland economies that have good institutions especially political institutions and good governments and finally economies that have access to large markets because in a fragmented world as max was saying earlier it's very important to have access to nearby markets for both goods and services and that's why you have european countries on the top of the ranking you have south south eastern southeast asian countries again like singapore or countries that have improved significantly in their competitiveness in that region like malaysia indonesia turkey that having access to the pan-asian market then they benefit from from near shoring and, and close by market so that's a little bit how the picture looks like this year yeah it's fascinating um and, and max i guess just a, a thought on uh, investment behaviour, you know, what all of these big broad themes that we've been discussing means in terms of, of asset allocation. There's some things we've alluded to already. Um, I guess we could anticipate, uh, you know, uh, increasing holdings in, in in fixed income, in more conservative fixed income. But tell us a little bit about what the, the actual investment behaviour is going to look like as a consequence of all of these themes. Yeah, as we pointed out, 2022 was a tough year for a research manager because the sort of multi-decade fixed income boom ended with increasing yields. Many of these investors, even if they were on a very conservative asset allocation, they suffer losses. And in when we ask about what are the asset classes that you that will be which are more preferred in terms of attractiveness in the sort of a post-grade moderation environment, very liquid and safe asset like short government bonds are definitely the most popular option. About 75% they mentioned these asset classes, their preferred one. This is not surprising. And I think this is also very important to keep in mind that reserve managers struggle over the last 15 years because of the low yield environment. Now, if you look at the expected return in fixed income over the next five years, they are actually higher than what has been the case for the last uh, in the last decade. That's a very big uh, change because basically means that given the goal of this investor, which is capital protection, through fixed income, thanks to higher yield and higher expected return, they are able to uh, fulfill that goal. Then, of course, there is a, a lot of discussion about the role instead of uh, long duration government bonds which of course are more sensitive to interest rate moves. And here I see a lot of interest, particularly for this type of asset classes for macro edging. Basically, long-term, long-term government bonds are the preferred asset class if you believe that the recession scenario will materialize down the road. This is something very important. Another two asset class that we discussed at length at the conference, one was emerging market debt. A particular emerging market debt in other currency. This is very important to keep in mind because there was a consensus on the fact that emerging markets, given what happened over the last year and a half with increasing yields, the geopolitical tension, actually many emerging markets are not doing bad at all, at least compared to previous episodes of volatility. They have been hiking more aggressively than advanced economies. They are much closer to put terminal level of interest rate 
So there was a lot of interest from research manager for uh, emerging market debt. Final is about gold. As you know, we know the central banks have become net buyers of gold already for a while. Definitely there is a lot of attention on gold. Gold is a typical safe haven asset and sometimes it's also perceived as a way to minimize, for instance, the impact of future sanction on FX reserve going forward. So that's in a nutshell where we are seeing. So if I can say in synthesis, a more uh, sort of uh, positive uh, outlook for reserve manager, largely thanks to higher expected return in fixed income asset. Thanks to both Max Castelli and Arturo Briss. And that brings us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS, setting the agenda in the fast-moving world of finance each week here on Monocle Radio. You can listen again and explore more at monocle.com. That's where you can also join the club by subscribing to the magazine. You can also follow this show wherever you get your podcasts. You can discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. This is The Bulletin with UBS on Monocle Radio. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.